Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Today is another Street Tips segment, and my good friend and host of the Candid Frame podcast, Ibarionex Perello, is on the show with me. Hello, Ibarionex. Can you believe that it's been almost a year since we hit the streets of LA together? Really? Is that- <laughs> Oh, God. Wow. Where does time go? It was so much fun. Oh, it was. I hope to get you back out here sometime soon. <laughs> yes, I'm going to San Francisco, actually, at the end of this month. So that was uh, switched L.A. to San Francisco. So who knows? Maybe next year I'll be back in L.A. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. <laughs> so you, uh, what's what's new with you since, uh, well, we I've, I had you on the show, uh, well, a few months ago now um, as a guest host. And... Uh, so what have you been uh, shooting these days? Oh, well, you know, it's been interesting. I'm, I'm working for an NPR show called Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. Mm-hmm. The, the studio for that is in um, just west of downtown Los Angeles in an area called Westlake. For people who are familiar with uh, um, Los Angeles, it's the area where MacArthur Park is near, near Koreatown. And um, so it's a, it's a full-time gig. So... But I find that during my breaks and during my lunchtime, I take uh, time to go out and photograph. Yeah. So every workday, I'm out for at least 20 or 30 minutes. That's good. Making photographs. And it's been a really interesting challenge, not only because of the time restriction. Yeah. But just because I'm trying to push myself to take pictures that I haven't made before. Mm -hmm. And uh, if people who uh, are following me uh, on Instagram will see that uh, the results have been very interesting. I tend to try to post a picture a day. Good. Um, and I'm really liking the work that I'm, I'm making down there. So and I'm that, wondering, because now you have such time limitations, you probably make more of a point of going out every day. Whereas when you were working from home and you felt like you had all the time in the world, you probably were not as good at making that happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's been really, really good. And it's just, you know, it made me that, appreciate that much more how, you know, it's just the choice to, yeah. to make the time to shoot that really is going to make the difference. It's not about whether or not you have time or not. It's yeah. the choice to make the time. Yeah. Well, there, you just had a first great tip. <laughs> yeah, it's about making the time. And I know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing uh, this week someone who just photographs sleepy commuters on the train and it's making good use of their time and and photographing on their commute to work and and there is no excuse really Uh, i hear so many people say i don't have time to go out and shoot well unless you live in a cave and you can't get out at all um, you do have time because everybody gets a lunch break at least or has to get to work so there was those opportunities that uh, you need to grab so what has been your weapon of choice these days? I've been using the NX500 primarily. Okay. So I own that and I have my X100S, but I have found that um, I've been shooting a lot at the wider angle end. So it's the, it's a 16, mm-hmm. it's the kit zoom. It's a 1650. Yep. So the 16 acts like, I think it's the 24 or 28 millimeter. Yep. So that's, that's been really interesting because it forced, forced me to get closer and yep. be more 
conscious about the frame. And the articulated screen has been incredibly helpful to shoot from anything but the eye level. That's true. Um, and I, I've been playing with the new Fuji X70, which is not released yet. But uh, same thing. It's at the same focal length and uh, articula articulated screen, uh, which I don't have on uh, on my favorite camera. Uh, so yeah, I can see how you'd get used to that. And it's that much you know, smaller and inconspicuous. So, um, but it's a great focal length. It, it pushes you to get to get closer. Yeah, I'm loving it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay, well, let's just jump right in. You have some uh, some tips to share with us today. Well, I thought I'd do something a little different. Okay, awesome. You know, I, I think about people ask me for tips, and I yeah. just go, God, what, what can I tell tell people that other great photographers haven't done already? Mm -hmm. So I thought what I'd do is I give tips that the great photographers have given. Oh, that's an awesome idea because, well, if you, if some of my listeners out there still don't listen to Ibarionek's amazing show, The Candid Frame, well, right after you listen to this episode, you have to go and subscribe to it because I've learned so much from you and your guests over the years. Um, an incredible show. Yeah, yeah. So I pulled some, some quotes from some of my favorite photographers. And the one I wanted to start with is one from Gary Winogrand. Mm -hmm. And he says that great work is always the result of great labor. There you go. And I just felt like, yeah, I mean, that just like we were talking about, about putting in the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you think about great athletes or great musicians, um, those people put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of work in order to get as good as they get. I think that one of the one of the biggest challenges about photography is how easy it is to make a photograph. You know, you just press a button and, and a picture's made. Yeah. But in order to make a great photograph, you really need to put in a lot of effort, not so much in terms of picture taking, but developing the way that you see. And so and I've learned over the past six months how important it is to make the time, not just on the weekends or every or a couple of months or whenever you do a workshop, but practicing seeing every day, whether it's with a camera phone, a, a small compact camera, a DSLR, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. just, it's making the choice to go out and do the work that's going to make you a better photographer. Because I don't think anyone aspires to be an average photographer. That's Everyone right. Mm -hmm. A really great photographer in, 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 in some, by some measure. And the only way that happens is by making the time to go out and, and make photographs. That's right. And, and being discerning. Oh, not, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not just snapping away. That's right. Yeah. Because I think there is so much, there's so much of that. I mean, we're, we're exposed to a lot of mediocre photography. And, uh, and I always feel like, okay, just people either don't take the time to, to see, or they just want to post everything they shoot and they're not being discerning in, in their editing process so, because don't you feel that way it's just that there is a lot of uh there, there is a there is a lot of good stuff out there but we've never been more exposed to to bad photography as we're now oh, yeah yeah and, 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 and i don't want to say it's bad photography no. it's a lot of mediocre mediocre yeah photography and it's not because these people aren't talented it's just I, I, I express this that people are just lazy in terms of the way they're seeing. It's yeah. not that, that they're bad in terms of technical stuff. I mean, most of the cameras today make it almost. Yeah, you can't make a bad photograph. Mm -hmm. But it's just the practice of seeing and being lazy in terms of how you look at that frame and how that translates into a photograph. Yeah. And 
Yeah, that, that's and, bottom line what it is. Yeah, and it may just be, you know, the result of the unlimited shutter click from having digital cameras. Yeah. We're just, but made me think, I really do think that photographers have become a little sloppier. Um, and um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't ma matter if you take 36 exposure or you take 3,600, uh, <laughs> the cost is the same. But uh, the number of keepers is definitely the ratio is not going to be the same. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Uh, well, that was a great quote. Awesome. Okay, next quote. Here's a, here's another one from a photographer who passed away sadly uh, recently, uh, Mary Ellen Mark. Yes, one of my my favorite favorite photographers. Great lady, and had a luckily I had the chance to interview her a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. But her quote is: "If the background doesn't work together with your main subject, you don't have a good picture." If the and background doesn't work with your main subject, you don't have a good picture. Okay, expand on that. It, it, it just really speaks to this attention to seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're first photographing, you see your subject to the exclusion of everything else. Yes. Only, oh, good point. Yes. And only later when you pull up the image on your computer or you see the print, do you realize, oh, I got a tree growing out of this person's head. Yeah. I got this white car in the corner. I got all these distractions that I didn't see at the moment that I made mm -hmm. the picture. Yeah. And this speaks to the idea of completely owning the frame how you not only have to be aware of your subject but everything in that frame one yeah. of the things i tell my students is scan the edges of your frame yeah look at what's happening at the edges of your frame because more than likely the distractions that are going to diminish the impact of the photograph are usually lying in the in the edges or, or the corners so this just speaks to the idea that you know, when you raise that camera to your eye you need to slow down and pay attention to every millimeter within that frame and make a conscious choice to either include or exclude. Yeah. And it's more about those decisions to exclude. Um, you know, it's harder sometimes to just uh, to exclude. Yeah. Don't you feel? And, and also, um, yeah, I, I always also tell my student to practice. Because those are decisions you have to make so quickly on the street. Because you have just that fraction of a second most of the time before the... The story is gone and you miss the shot. So it's to practice those skills on subjects that are not moving, whether it's a street performer uh, or uh, a scene at market where you have subjects that are kind of, you know, going to be there for a little while mm -hmm. and, and practice walking around, positioning yourself to, to scan the edges of your frame and of your subject. Uh, practice those skills. That way, when you, when you're in a real, situation where you have to make those decisions in a fraction of a second because you're running across the street you saw something you're going to be more prepared to to make those decisions very quickly yeah and one of the ways you can start practicing this is by not making the search for the subject the priority it's find the setting yeah. look, look at light look at form look at shape find a, a place that could serve it as a great background mm -hmm or setting for your photograph and then wait for that telling element, either a person walking into the scene or something that will help complete the photograph. Yeah. If you, if you build the photograph in that way, by being, being more aware of all these other aesthetic considerations of the frame and not just the subject and you just wait for an element to walk in, then this idea of being responsible for the background, the foreground, the, 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 the subject, You'll, you'll train yourself to do that so much better. Yeah, so, so true. And, uh, and not be satisfied with the first person that's going to walk through the frame because they may not be the interesting subject. Be patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yeah. Awesome. Great. Yeah. And uh, I will uh, definitely urge people to uh, go back and listen to that episode with Mary Ellen Marks. Um, here's here's a, a quote by another great, great photographer, Lisette Muldell. And if people aren't familiar with her, you should Google her and check out her work. She's really amazing. But she says, new images surround us everywhere. They are invisible only because of sterile routine, convention, and fear. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I mean, that just. Yeah, she that, nailed it right there. Because how many times have, you know, at least when I was, you know, starting off as a photographer, I would go out with all this equipment and come back with nothing. And I would say that, oh, there was just nothing to photograph. And the reality is there was plenty to photograph. Mm-hmm. It's just that I was blind to it. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's about, um, you know, our routines, the, the noise in our head of all the things that we're thinking about, fear about, you know, how people may react when we're making photographs, clouds the whole process of being able to see, react, and make a photograph. Yeah. And we have to be aware that that is the greater obstacle. People fixate about the size of the camera, whether it's a mirrorless or it's a DSLR, what lens you use, all this other stuff, and has nothing, nothing to do with the, the biggest challenge, which is your own head. Mm-hmm. So even if you have the perfect camera, if you have all that stuff going on in your head, all those obstacles in your head, you're not going to see the moment that really would take advantage of that great piece of equipment, equipment that you have in your hand. That's right. And, and the ability to see the extraordinary and the ordinary. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people think they have to go travel to, to capture anything worthy. But it's not true. You should be able to make your, own, your best work in your own environment. And that fear thing is a big thing. Because mm-hmm. I've been very conscious of when I'm out there is that how often um, I let fear dictate what I, when I choose to raise the camera and when I don't. You know, and even if I don't choose to raise the camera, I'm aware of the fact that the only thing that's keeping me from doing it is fear. Yeah. And then the more that happens, the more increasingly I'm, I'm willing to just to push it because I, I, I just do, I'll deal with the consequences. And yeah. Usually it's very rarely negative. Yeah, I don't know who said that the, you get to the point where the fear of not getting the shot is greater than the fear of getting it. Absolutely. And once you get there, then, then you can get over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good I think point. it only happens by just going out there regularly and doing it. If you wait every couple of months to go out and shoot, you'll, you'll never get past yeah, that. Yeah, it seems like you go back to where you were. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Awesome. Hey, I like this. Okay. Next quote. Uh, Steve McCurry. Awesome. A lot of people know, but his, his quote is, my life is shaped by the urgent need to wander and observe, and my camera is my passport. And Beautiful. That's just a lovely sentiment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it speaks to the idea that when we're kids and we're young, we're endlessly curious about everything. And yet as adults, we turn, tend to lose that and we just get into our, you know, our sort of mundane, um, you know, the main aspects of our life, you know, we, we stay with stuff that's familiar and that curiosity is kind of a loss, but the camera provides that. And I love that because I love, just like you, I love to wander. Mm-hmm. I love to get lost. Get lost on purpose. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, there's nothing more marvelous because I'm, I'm just open to what I'm going to discover. Yeah. I don't just want to stay with what's, what's familiar. And the camera is just the perfect excuse to do just that and i think that's really sort of important to to remember especially um though there are advantages to photographing in a familiar place over and over again 
you know, there are times when you just need to just do something different and just be open. Yeah. Because that just provides some wonderful opportunities and can really challenge the way that you see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Aren't we just so lucky to have that? You know, because I feel like so many people don't have that passion or a passion. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps us, it keeps our life just exciting because there is no, there is no limit as to where we can go with our camera. It's, yeah. Yeah, I feel that uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to even imagine not having that. I can't even imagine my life without that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd, go, I'd go buggy. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be in a padded room. Me too. <laughs> well, at least we won't be alone. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love Steve McCurry's uh, work, of course, and his vision. And uh, what a life, you yeah. know. Wow. I, I hear he doesn't even have a permanent address. Oh, I, I can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. I have a, we have a friend in common. And, and uh, yeah, it's like, wow. In a way, that's got to be challenging, you know, on so many, different, so many levels. But uh, it's a choice. Hey, as long as you can pack light, I think you're good. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, the next two quotes are really sort of um, variations of the, of the same theme. And I'll start with this one by Ernst Haas. Mm-hmm. Uh, great color. Uh, photographer if you, if you you do not have a full appreciation for the potential for color in, in in photography unless you've seen his work it's just nothing short of amazing and he said i'm not interested in shooting new things i'm interested in seeing things new beautiful again so simple yeah yeah mm-hmm. and i think that the, the the greatest sentiments and thoughts about photography are always the simplest ones yeah because uh, it really sort of cuts to the core. And, and this for me is, is so essential because uh, one of the things that we do is that we uh, label everything that's in our world. Well, this is a chair, this is a car, this is a girl, this is whatever it is. And one of the things as a photographer you have to get over is get past that literalness. You have to take a look at things now in terms of color, in terms of shape, in terms of form, how one uh, object uh, juxtaposed to another uh, the, the relationship is evoked because of the context of the frame. And that's the way that you see things new. When you look at it, not just merely as a form of a, 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 an abstraction, but more about what is it about this thing that makes it what it is? What appeals to me visually about this thing? Mm-hmm. And how can I make a photograph that conveys that? And that's, I think, when the magic happens. Yeah. And, and that works. I mean, even. I feel like street photographers don't only want to photograph street, but you learn so much by photographing inanimate objects, ordinary objects, you know, mm. the way light will, um, will shape something or the way color, the colors go together. Uh, and I think it's important to kind of, you know, look outside the box and not only shoot street uh, because I mean this audience is mostly street photographers but I think it's so important to kind of expand your horizons and you learn so much yeah I mean even photographing in your own house observe how the light changes over the course of the day Mm -hmm. Um, you know where is the light coming through the morning where is it where is it in the afternoon where is it in the evening look at the objects that are in your house and see how they're rendered completely differently because of the way the light is coming through the yeah. window or through a door. Photograph that, and then you'll start recognizing the very same things when you're out on the street. 
That's right. And, and, and learn in the process. Yeah, I've, I have this, um, this sunroom where every time I walk through, there, is, there are shadows and things are just looks, ordinary objects look so beautiful. I mean, very often I just grab the camera and, and spend a few, a few minutes, even a few seconds, but just take the time to, to grab a few shots because every time I, I learn something. And, uh, and it just kind of completes my day if I can't go out to shoot that day, especially when it's super cold like right now where we're in the single digits again. Um, you know, there, there, there's beauty everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the other quote that's sort of a variation of that is by Manuel Alvarez Bravo, who's a really uh, famous and accomplished Mexican uh, photographer. Um, a photographer's main instrument is his eyes. Strange as it may seem, many photographers choose to use the eyes of another photographer, past or present, instead of their own. Those photographers are blind. Mm. And man, and that is as much of a, of a, of a challenge to anyone who's out there. As yeah. a real call to, to action. Because I think, to some extent, we all um, derive our eye from looking at other people's work. Yeah. You know, you see what other people are doing. You see what, what, what the medium is capable of. You go out and you emulate, emulate that. And that's how you learn. Yeah. But, but at some point, you have to have your own voice. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people settle for duplicating other people's work, whether it's Bruce Gilden, whether it's uh, Ansel Adams, you know, whoever, whoever it is. Yeah. At some point, yeah, you can, you can emulate those people. You can go out and see if you can um, make a photograph similar to that. And I think that's an exercise in sort of the technical, sort of having an understanding uh, the mechanics of how those people make, made the photographs. But at some point, you have to let that go. And if you're simply satisfied with making pictures that are as good as somebody else's, you're, you're you know, it's a little bit short-sighted. You're, you're, you're never going to reach the full potential of you as an individual person, as an artist, as a photographer, if you just limit yourself to being as good as anyone else or making photographs that are as good as anyone else's. Um, yeah. So you have to take risk. And even if you're making photographs that other people aren't comfortable with or it doesn't make sense to them, if it feels, if it feels true to who you are and you feel like you're on the right path, then that's what you need to be doing. Yeah, I, that's so true. And I, I feel like very often um, photographers will emulate someone's work because they see it being so popular. Mm-hmm. And um, and it may not even fit their personality. It may not even make them happy. Um, I mean, I could try to emulate Bruce Gilden, and I, I could probably do that, but it wouldn't make me happy. It's just not me, mm-hmm. and um, it's just not my style of of seeing. So it's really yeah, it's important to to try different things, but. But when it comes down to it, follow, follow your own voice and find your own voice and yeah. follow that. Yeah, so true. And I don't know when that actually happens. <laughs> you know, it's going to, when do you actually go from, I, yeah, I, I it must to, be very subtle. I think for me, it comes from moments of frustration because okay. I think uh, at least um, the last six months I had, I felt like I was making the same photographs. Okay, and I go through phases of this, but I felt like I was, I was making photographs that I knew I could make well and just repeat. Yeah. You know, I was, hold on, I phrased it last night in, in a way. It's like, I, it's, 
you don't want to end up making good versions of great photographs. Yeah. Now you don't want to repeatedly just make good versions of great photographs, whether it's someone else's or, or, or your own. And at some point, there's a moment where I experience frustration because I recognize that in my, in my work. And then at that point, that frustration goes, f feeds my desire to go out there and try to do something different. Which something is different, yeah. why I'm shooting the way that I'm shooting right now. Because not all the photographs that I'm putting on my Instagram feed are great photographs. That's not the point. The point is that I'm out there and I'm really pushing myself. I'm challenging myself to, to figure out what my, next, my, what my next step is. And only by going out there and, and working within these restrictions, shooting with a 24 rather than a, a 35 millimeter, um, all of that is you know, putting the pressure on me to really not only change the way I see, but observe the way that I'm seeing and, and how I'm reacting. And uh, I'm not there yet, but I know that at some point, when I look back at the work that I've created over the past year, that... I'll probably recognize that. But right now I'm in the midst of making the photographs and it probably won't register. Yeah. But only when I sit down and I look at all these pictures and, and I start editing them and start sorting them and, and organizing them will I recognize, okay, this is what was happening. Yeah. Yeah, because really a body of work should not be stagnant. You mm -hmm. should see, I mean, something evolve. And if you feel like you've pretty much shooting the same subject in the same way, all the time, then maybe it's time to, you know, switch things around a little bit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in order, in order to grow. Otherwise, you just, yeah, you're just not going to grow. That's a good point. And I, and I don't know, yeah, that's something that I think a lot of people will, will appreciate um, the, the tip because it's going to make everyone kind of reflect on their work and look at where they were a year ago compared to today. And is it? Are the pictures similar or not? And why are they so similar? Are they just too comfortable? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. And the, the next photographer is not a street photographer, but many people will be familiar with her work, and that's Sally Mann. Mm -hmm. She says, like all photographers, I depend on serendipity. I pray for what might be referred to as the angel of chance. Beautiful. Just, as street photographers, I mean, that's what we're all about, mm -hmm. right? It's the thing that you can't anticipate, the thing that you can't imagine happening that suddenly happens in front of the camera. And I think one of the wonderful things about uh, the practice of street photography is that you're open to that. Um, there are other types of photography, um, like some still life and some portrait, where your, your effort is to be in complete control over everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. I like the fact that I go out there with a completely blank slate. I don't know what's going to happen when I step out of the door of the studio and I decide to make a left or a right or go north or go south or any of those things. And then something presents itself and it's like, can I get it? Yeah. Yeah. Every day is an adventure. And, right. and, and I, you know, I, I used to have a portrait studio many years ago and I hated that control. Mm hmm. Because it was just too cookie cutter. I mean, I know it doesn't have to be, and, and there's wonderful studio portrait work out there. But to me, it didn't have that that challenge of of having to be to deal with a situation that's unexpected or with a light that I, is difficult. That to me is part of the fun. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and one of the, the great things about when you're out there on a regular basis is that you develop the sense of anticipation. Yeah. And that's marvelous. I mean, yesterday I went out of the office and I wasn't out of the office more than five minutes. And I see this woman walking with a violet umbrella. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to cross the street and I see her coming. And I see that there's this blue wall and this like white security gate. And I go, and I see these two disparate elements mm-hmm. and I go, if I can get them together, it could make for a really good shot. Right. But it was like, she wasn't there yet, but I saw all these different pieces and I realized that if I got them together in just the right spot. And so and I crossed the street that as, as quickly as I, as I could, my camera was not awake, oh, uh, had not woken up. So oh. I was turning it on and I was <laughs> just hoping that it would turn on just enough time for me to be able to raise the camera and get it. And just as the camera was finally able to shoot, I, able, I was able to get one frame and she just was perfectly positioned. In oh, the nice. And that's in my Instagram feed from, from yesterday. Oh, so. great. I'll go look. Um, yeah, yeah it, when you know you get it, and it was so challenging and you had so little time and you get it in one frame, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, nothing can beat that. Yeah. But if I had crossed the street and all of a sudden she had presented itself to me, and I had not seen it beforehand, or I hadn't seen the potential of that moment beforehand. I never would have gotten it. Yeah. I would have just seen what I passed right there and I'd go, oh, that would have made a good shot. Yeah. And so much about what we do out on the street is being able to anticipate, anticipate be yeah. sort, of, sort of psychic. And it's amazing that when you develop that skill, um, how, how on the nose it can be sometimes. I mean, oh, you, yeah. just, you, you, you stop at a corner and you go, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If I just wait here, something's going to happen. And you just wait there, whether it's five minutes or half an hour. And when it pays off, it's just remarkable how, how in the midst of all that chaos, um, you can have moments, moments like that. That, that, That's fun. That's, that's the fun of hunting on the street. Yeah. It's all about, uh, yeah, preparation and anticipation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, next is Jay Maisel, who I know oh. a lot of people out there are, are, yes. are familiar with. And um, before I tell you the quote, one of the things that uh, um, uh, when he had the bank building, mm-hmm. several floors where he would collect all this junk that he picked up from the street. And he would photograph a lot of this stuff because of the way the light would come yeah. through windows. So going back to the idea of, you know, being aware of your house and, you know, and photographing different things. That was one of the things that he would do, not just going out in the street. He would photograph in his own house, collecting all this stuff. And it was just, it was just amazing. Yeah. It, was, it was insane. Not that I recommend, you know, hoarding to that extent. <laughs> Unless I'm you have the space. I'm <laughs> saying that. Yeah. He was a great artist. But, but it's just that thing that Jay was constantly practicing seeing, and that's why he was, he's as good as he, as he is. But he says, if light is great in front of you, you should turn around and see what it's doing behind you. Yes. And that is just, that's just gold. Because I think as photographers, we tend to just look at what's in front of us constantly. And we're moving in one direction and don't take the time to look left or right or behind us. And sometimes the best stuff is is there. And especially with respect to to light. I mean, if you've got late afternoon light. Yeah. And the sun is behind you. Yeah, you got this wonderful frontlet stuff. But if you turn around, there's going to be something that's going to be a backlit that might look mm-hmm. just as remarkable, or something that's sidelit, or or 
if you look to the side, you might see that it's being reflected off of some surface, like a window or a white wall or, or something, and it's just doing something that you couldn't have even predicted. So when you find a good spot and you're appreciating the light, um, look at what the light is doing. Pay attention to the light, not just, not just the subject matter. See what the light is doing with all the variety of, of objects and people and things that, that are being um, impacted by the, by the light. And that, and, then, and that goes the same for the shadows. Yes. You know, if you pay attention to what the light is doing, sometimes you can find a photograph just as a result of just, if you're stuck, for example, and you're frustrated where you can't find anything to shoot, shut that part of your brain that's looking for a subject matter and just look and go, where's the light? Yeah. Yeah, and instead of looking at the sunset, for sure, turn around. Mm -hmm. Because I always find it more spectacular on the other side. Uh, I've, so many times I've caught myself, you know, everybody's watching the sunset and I'm turned the other way, photographing behind everyone else because the way the light hits certain things yeah. is just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Good good tip from Jay Mizell, another great inspiration for us all. Yeah. And here's another uh, street photographer who a lot of people don't know about. But I really recommend that you check him, check him out. His name is Jeff Mermelstein. Hmm. Um, he, uh, he's a New York uh, photographer. He also works as a, a press photographer, uh, shoots film. Um, just marvelous, marvelous eye. And he says, I find it particularly exciting when a picture evokes anything near the word mystery. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes a, a little bit into what we were just talking about. But I think it also... It talks about being able to make a photograph that forces you or the viewer to linger. I mean, when you think about how, how we look at photographs on the computer, if we go to Flickr, or if we go to Instagram, we're just clicking, clicking, yep. clicking, right? We'd, an image probably gets one or two seconds of our attention for the most part. And then every once in a while, you see a photograph that makes you just stop cold. Yeah. And I think that that's part of that. Uh, yeah, either there is a tension or something or there's just mystery. Something yeah. You can't easily put your finger on mm -hmm. that makes you stop. And I think that, that that's some aspect of this mystery that he's talking about. It's not just about trying to figure out, well, what's happening here? What's the story here? I mean, that, I think in some images that that really is part of it. But I think it goes even deeper in that the image has, as simple as we can sometimes make images, sometimes that simplicity can hide an underlying complexity that is incredibly engaging yes and i think a lot of it has to do with the relationships of the different elements within the frame the foreground the background and the subject and it's that interplay that can grab your attention and it makes you curious as to what is it that's drawing me into this shot and i think it, it goes back to this whole idea of just being of owning the frame and trying to do something with it other than just shooting this object. I mean, that, that um, um, Edward Weston uh, photograph of the pepper. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. It's just a pepper, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's not just a pepper. Yeah. And you look at that, and that image just sucks you. Mm -hmm. Sucks you in. And it's a bell pepper. And that's... And that's and that, image has that innate mystery that Mermelstein is talking about. Mm -hmm. You take a look at that photograph and you just, you're enraptured. 
and being able to see and make photographs like that, I mean, that's the great challenge for any photographer. I mean, at the end of a lifetime, if you have three or four or five images that evoke that, you're lucky. Yeah. You know, but that's, that's the bar by which we're all trying to, or at least most of us are trying to, to aspire to. But, it's, but recognizing that that's, that's something to pursue can really put the fire underneath you to go out and make the photographs and make a lot bad, make, make a lot of bad photographs in the process, but nevertheless make the photographs that end up training, training your ability to be uh, a good photographer, a good seer. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, really great point. Now the next guy is probably is probably within my top five photographers. Um, he's a photographer who. Um, during the, the 80s, um, introduced me to the power and the potential of color. And he's a National Geographic photographer named William Albert Allard. Oh, yes. And this man um, shot in a time where primarily Nat Geo photographers were shooting with Kodachrome. So you're dealing with Kodachrome 25, 64, and 200. Okay? None of this astronomical high ISOs to work with, right? So even with that limitation, this man did stuff with Kodachrome that you would think was impossible. He would take pictures under lighting conditions that most photographers would walk away from and say, oh, you can't make a picture here because either the light is bad or there's just not enough light. And he would make these photographs and he would do stuff with color that was just jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping. Um, I interviewed him uh, a couple of years back as well. Uh, but take a look uh, at, his, at his book. There's a retrospective of yeah, his book. Five Decades. If you don't buy another book this year, you should buy that book, especially if you're into color. It uh, is a wonderful book, yeah. It's too damn small. That's my one complaint about the book. It's <laughs> 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 oh, a bit, bit of a challenge for me to be able to read that, that, you know, with that font. But the photographs themselves, you, they served as my, my photo education. Um, but his quote is not so much about color. He says, I think the best pictures are often on the edges of a situation. I don't find photographing the situation nearly as interesting as photographing the edges. Mm -hmm. And he's not talking about composition there. He's talking about the way he photographs um, uh, a moment. Uh, yes. he's, he did this great photo essay for National Geographic, which if you can find, um, it's great, is on minor league baseball. And so few of his shots are actually about gameplay. They were actually about the world around minor league baseball. Yes, and those are amazing. I, I spent a lot of time looking at those images, and you're right. It's all about the, the spectators. and Spectators, the stuff yeah. that's on the side, the vendors. I mean, just, it's the stuff at the periphery. I mean, mm -hmm. you go to a parade, right? And it's like the least interesting photographs are of the parade itself. It's about the stuff leading up to the parade. It's about people getting prepared to march in the parade. It's the spectators. It's, it's, it's what happens after the parade is over and these people are collapsing after having marched for three miles. I mean, it's that stuff that is great fodder for photography, especially of people, because those moments are usually very unguarded. Yeah, it's real life. It's raw. It's real life. And... If you, if you know to pay attention to that stuff, oh my God, it's remarkable. I mean, I think we've all done it. We've gone to a parade and we've made pictures of people marching. But you take a look at 100 pictures of people marching down the street. Yeah. 
what what is it? That's nothing. It's nothing. But if you take a step back and you and you really think about what's really happening here, look at the social dynamic, how you can reveal the relationships that people are having with each other in such a at such an event. I mean, I like going to like public fairs or public events like uh, you know street fairs or something like that, and I'm not really interested in photographing the performers or the vendors. I'm looking for the opportunity to go in and show relationships and interactions with people. Uh, because I have an access in, in that kind of situation that I normally don't have when I'm on the street. That's true. And again, it's about looking, be, turning around and looking behind you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the behind the scenes. Yeah, and it's, and, and it's really about, um, it's that, and it's also, I think, um, being open. Again, it's about that thing that Telling Man was talking about, that serendipity. Yeah. You know, you have to be open to that. Because if you go in with the intention of photographing a particular thing in a particular way, you'll do just that. But the full potential of a moment passes you by because you're so fixated on what you feel is going to be the, the best photograph. And my experience has always demonstrated that that rarely is the case. There usually is something better. And yeah. remarkable that I could never have anticipated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very, very good point. And I, I highly recommend the book. Um, and we'll put all those quotes in the show notes so that people can go back and then research the, the photographers behind the quotes for sure. All right. Next is Roy Decarava, which was a photographer uh, who started, I probably think, in the 30s and 40s. He's known uh, famously for a book that he did. I'll call the sweet, uh, uh, I think it's sweet flypaper of life um, that he did with Langston Hughes. Uh, he worked primarily in black and white. And if if you ever have an exhibit of Roy Decarava's work uh, at a gallery or a museum, make a beeline to check it out because his prints are absolutely remarkable. We don't talk about prints as much anymore when we talk about photography, but he does stuff with with silver and paper that you would think is impossible even today with all the technology people do not print the way this man did he you know how we go for try to go for a total full tonal range of highlights to black he works with like middle gray to black huh interesting the prints still look amazing um yeah yeah it's kind of like um w eugene smith's prints Uh, w eugene smith printed incredibly dark prints um, and people don't print like these two guys do now. Um, and it's just, it just, it just reveals how, how the act of printing can be as interpretive as the act of making the photograph. But his quote is going outside and meeting the challenge of taking what is and making it yours. That's what photography does for me. It's not the subject that interests me as much as my perception of the subject. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think all these quotes, I mean, kind of revolve around the same idea. You know, I think there's all this variations on a, on, a, on a theme. But, yeah, it's really true. It's how we perceive it that really makes the difference. I mean, you've, you've seen it. You've done workshops where you have, you know, seven or eight photographers all photographing a similar situation, a similar scene. But each of them creates an image that is really distinctive to who they are and how they see. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. And sometimes you're left very envious that we didn't see it that way. <laughs> yes. You know, God, I'm taking that shot. Yeah. And 
That just happened to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was teaching a, a street photography workshop, and uh, this woman made this shot of a person I had been trying to make a photograph, and she made a, a photograph that was so remarkable. And then I went, I never would have seen that. Oh, that's Even awesome. It wasn't so much how she photographed her, but how she photographed her in relation to the background. Because mm -hmm. I was trying to work out, how do I work out this, this background in this particular scene to make it work with any subject? And she did it perfectly. That's great. Perfectly. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> You're paying for this workshop, but I just learned something. Thank you. <laughs> we always do. That's the beauty <laughs> of teaching. <laughs> yeah. And I got one more quote for you. Great. And this is by Alex Webb. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, what can I say about Alex Webb? He's just, just phenomenal. Um, he says, I only know how to approach a place by walking. But what does a street photographer do but walk and watch and wait and talk and then watch and wait some more, trying to remain confident that the unexpected, the unknown, or the secret heart of the known awaits just around the corner. Wow, that's a lot of, that's food for thought. Uh, and th that's, that's the life of the street photographer. Mm -hmm. Walking, waiting, yeah. stop, walking, waiting, stopping, you know, it's not just walking. You know, I think sometimes people walk a little bit too much. Too much, yeah. Too much, you know, it's just linger. linger. Slow down. Yeah, yeah, especially when something in your gut is saying there's something here. It's worth it to stay there. You know, I, I, you know, I could do a whole workshop on just one intersection, one corner. Yeah. And not, and not go there because I know that if it's, the, if it's the right corner, then that street corner, the dynamic there is going to change as much as the light changes. You know, everything's in flux. And when you can be open to that and you can be observant of that, oh, my God, you can have so much fun. And yeah, and the story will come to you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, patience. Patience, yeah. We're too <laughs> impatient, but with a camera, we can, we, can, we can slow down enough and practice some patience. Because patience is really what, what uh, uh, I, I, I know very few impatient great photographers. Mm -hmm. You because know, you, you recognize that practicing patience is as important as anything that you have in your camera bag. The only time I'm patient is with the camera. And it's so <laughs> against my nature to be patient like that. I mean, it's just my, my family just cannot believe how patient I can be when mm -hmm. I'm hunting with my camera and how impatient, impatient I am in, in other aspects of my life. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, this was just awesome. I mean, oh. a great, great, great show. Uh, and I'm glad you thought of doing it this way, mixing it up a little bit. I think that was just great. And you've, you've been exposed to so much talent through your interviews and all the research you've done. So that was just great to, uh, to make a selection of your, of your favorite quotes. Oh, thank you. I hope people uh, really benefit from it and enjoy it. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they will. So any, anything happening that you want to share? Yeah, um, when does the show come out? Uh, well, it'll probably be early March. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, I'll be doing another street photography workshop through the Los Angeles Center of Photography. Uh, I believe that's scheduled for March. Okay. They can go to lacphoto.org uh, to uh, sign up, and I'll be taking people. It's a full day, so what I do nice. is I'll do a, a short presentation, 
about my approach to street photography. And we either go out to the streets of Hollywood or uh, downtown Los Angeles for several hours. And then we come back to the studio and then we do a critique. And I think that that, that is usually um, where the magic really happens when yes. we tend to evaluate uh, the work. So I try to pe give people a full, uh, a full experience uh, there as well. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put the links to the show notes as well as uh, the links to to your website and the Candid Frame, of course. So uh, and so where can people see more of your work? Just uh, well, if they want to see the latest work that I'm producing, I'm I'm uploading um, regularly to Instagram. So if you, they just do a search on my name, Ibarian X, which is I B is in boy, A-R-I-O-N-E-X. Um, they'll see the work that I've been producing as of light and, and that I refer to. Uh, but otherwise, they can go to uh, thecandidframe.com, and there they'll find not only links to all the interviews that I have for the show, but also uh, samples of my earlier work. And uh, if people want to get access to the full archive of interviews, because I've just recently, I think I'm at 300 in episode 309, so I have over 300 in interviews with a lot of photographers mm -hmm street photographers but i have um apps that have been created uh so that people can access the entire archive really conveniently off their phones either for windows android or apple ios and they're available for free so if they go to the website they'll see links there for where you can download uh, the respective uh apps you can download it and then you can listen to countless hours of conversations with photographers about photography not so much about equipment and gear and technique but really about what inspires and drives them to make photographs so um you know download the app check it out and, and, and listen yeah i i have my favorites that i listen to once in a while see some oh. old episode of yours i've i've listened to every candid frame episode oh thank you and some yeah but definitely the the one constant in my uh in my weekly or um um feed that's that's for sure. Well, thank you so much, Ibarionex, and uh, I hope we get to shoot together again soon. Yeah, me too. Me too. I just love seeing you. Love seeing your work uh, always. So uh, you, you're doing some marvelous stuff up there, not just as a photographer, but as a, as a teacher. And I just want to wish you all the best in 2016. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we are at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show. And if you enjoy it, please leave a rating and spread the love on social media. My name is Valérie Jardin, and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab that camera and hit the streets. Hit the streets.